do play in a permissionless open way to help identify the areas that you feel you can go much further in to give yourself the resolve that you're going to need to really push down that avenue regardless of the societal pushback and regardless of the fact that you're probably not going to be good at it to start. Hey friend, it's David Abinsky here in New York City. So excited for this podcast episode with Salman Ansari. Salman recently had a viral blog post called The Polymath Playbook that I really wanted to dive deep on here. As always, this episode with timestamp notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There, you can also subscribe to my newsletter, also called One Email Away, where I provide projects and opportunities and insights from the podcast. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Here we go with Salman. Cool. Um, Salman, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So rumor has it, uh, you had a relatively famous blog post. Um, uh, it all right. <laughs> maybe we could start about, the. it's titled The Polymath Playbook. Uh, maybe we could start a little bit about like why you decided to write the piece. Yeah, um, that's a good question. I mean, I think it's funny because after you read the post, it, it kind of presents as though like, like basically what I talk about, I talk about a few main things. The first thing I talk about is sort of the, the history of how we got to where we are as a society where, you know, specialization is sort of the, the key thing, um, you know, and there were a few factors that kind of led to that, um, starting with, you know, even in the industrial era when division of labor and um, sort of competitive techniques like that between businesses started to take off, like specialization became key. And then, you know, I basically talk about like, well, you know, there's this other approach, um, you know, it's called the polymath approach. Some people call it generalist. There's some differences, et cetera. Here are the benefits. And here's what my life has been like kind of going through that. And, you know, if you look through that, it looks like I've been kind of living my life with this sort of polymath uh, approach sort of intentionally. Right. But, but like, obviously, I mean, one of the things I talk in there is like, I was just sort of doing what I wanted to do. I was just kind of like exploring these different pursuits. And the reason I wanted to write about it was just because, so I have been doing a lot more sort of essay writing and, and newsletter publishing it. And I felt like this was such a big part of my life and my identity. And I just hadn't really articulated, um, you know, what it meant to me. And it was writing. This was one of those experiences that, you know, a lot of times you learn, you know, you kind of, don't really know what you want to say about a thing. And then you write and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I, I actually understand. And, you know, the things that actually did come out, which were unexpected, were all the challenges that come with, with this kind of approach, which are, which, you know, we can talk about that as well. But yeah, it was very clarifying. And, um, you know, I, I actually, one of the things um, that I realized as I was writing it was, you know, the thing that I really like about essays, like I like essays, as sort of an art form, you know, not to describe them in too grandiose of a way, but I do feel like they are opportunities to kind of express something in, in a slightly more sort of, you know, humanistic way, like take information and kind of connect it to people. And I always like to say, like, it should take a little bit out of you. It should, it should sort of, you should feel like a shred or a little slice or something, you know, so that that piece is there now in, in your work. And, and that's when people really see it. And, and for me, a big part of that was like, I really didn't like sitting there and being like, here are all these different pursuits that I've done. And here are all the you know benefits around that. It just was, there was like a strong resistance to that. I almost actually didn't talk about the personal side of it. I was like, you know what? People just want to know the information. 
Uh, and I'm so glad I did because a huge part of the resonance was just people being like, yes, this is why, you know, whenever I'm in a group and it's full of people who are, you know, just doing their one thing, I feel left out. And, and yes, you know, I really resonate with this other struggle and, and so on. And it's kind of one of those lessons that I keep learning again, but as you're doing it, it's still, it's still always a difficult a struggle to kind of, to kind of be authentic and sort of bring yourself into it. But yeah, I, I, I kind of, I kind of just felt I, it needed to talk about it and, and it was a fun and interesting process writing it. Uh, as well as obviously the response that came afterwards was, was interesting as well. Mm -hmm. And so one of that, one of the main things there you just said was like putting more into your work about you than you kind of initially anticipate. And that's what people can resonate more with, obviously, you know, facts and tactics and, you know, suggestions and things to do, which we might talk about that here too. Um, But also the human side of it that people can uh, connect to the stories. Yeah. One of the, one of the things that was really interesting to me in there was well a lot of things um but one thing i definitely want to start about now was this idea of having even as you're transitioning and um and going to different places one thing you talked about was having like a a foundational skill set or one key foundational skill can you maybe talk about that and maybe yeah absolutely Yeah. yeah that's a really important question um you know i would say it's one of those things where it's like Ideally, you have one, you know, ideally, you know, having a couple or or more is great. But I I said one because I think it's important to separate, you know, like you don't want to be in a situation where you are, you're, you're, you're essentially trying to just move too quickly between things without giving yourself a chance to get the benefits from that particular pursuit. Um, And so some people, you know, that's kind of the origin of that quote that I talked about is like, you know, the, the quote is like, Jack of all trades, but master of none. Um, you know, and one of the things I talked about is there's an extended version, which is, you know, jack of all trades is master of none, but oftentimes better uh, than a master of one. The extended version of the quote is saying is like, you, you, should, you should find sort of one area where you can work on it long enough. You can work on it for an extended time enough. You get extended learnings from it. Like, you, you know, you, you're, not, you're only going to get the surface level stuff if you, if you, you know, only hang out at the surface. Um, what's cool, though is once you've done that, once you've put in the time, and so, so for me, by the way, you know, engineering is probably that foundational thing that I've just spent so much time working on. But once you've spent enough time on it, then you can start and expanding onto these other areas, building other mental models from those and bringing them in and basically um, accelerating your growth in that area. So one good example is like, you know, I, I, I've been an engineer and I've been, you know, in leadership positions and things like that, but I never really wanted to be, well, let's just say I was never, I was never the best, most technical engineer in the team, you know, and I, it was never really something that I aspired to, but regardless, I wasn't that. And instead what I started to become was, oh, the engineer that, you know, can communicate really well because of, you know, he always done some public speaking. And so, you know, blah, 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 or something like that, or an engineer who has a sense of design because he's like really in, into animation and things like that. And so I think that if I hadn't even really begun the engineering journey or spent enough time on it, I would still be struggling there. And, you know, I'm trying to pull in these other things, but I don't really even have that strong foundation. So I think that's one thing that, um, you know, the number, the exact number, how many should you have in that foundation? That's really up to you and kind of how many things are there that you want to spend five, 10, uh, you know, 20 years on uh, before or not before, but, you know, in addition to, to all these other um, pursuits, the, the way that I like to describe it is, you know, you want to refine your mental models before you start mixing in other ones, um, because then it just becomes kind of, 
confusing and, and, and difficult. Um, and, and can you uh, describe a mental model uh, yeah. for somebody that in one of your prior jobs and prior projects? Sure. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, one of the things that I like to, like, it, it's interesting, I actually saw a really good conversation around, like, what is the difference between sort of mental models and concepts and, and, and basic ideas? And, and these are like frameworks of thinking that we've pulled in from other places that aren't necessarily prevalent in that space. So for example, when I was working in healthcare, there's sort of an approach and uh, a mindset for how one obtains information from patients. So, you know, for example, every time you walk into a doctor's office, there's a clipboard, it's very extensive, it's very, um, you know, sort of legalese. Um, it's, it's, it's basically trying to cover its bases and make sure that like its intent it, it, you know, it, it is very, very, it's much more around like just the information. So a different model and a different approach um, to collecting information that, that many other approaches take like on products is, hey, maybe the user could have a little fun with this. Hey, maybe, you know, we can bring in some emotion into this. Hey, maybe we can bring some character and, and play. And that's just not a convention that's done within healthcare typically. And so I tried that. So basically I would take we, you know, we were basically building this startup called, um, it was called Rested. We were helping people who have sleep apnea. And in order to get that help, one of the things they have to do is fill out kind of the survey that explains a lot of their symptoms. And then we can kind of advise on whether it seems like they might have this issue. And, you know, I, I decided, okay, I'm going to try and build this survey out. And, and it had these little things you could tap and it would kind of animate and it would give you a little like congratulatory, uh, you know, mm -hmm. a little confetti. And, and <laughs> it was remarkable. I was, you know, I was originally doing it just because I'm a huge fan of that stuff. And I think it does matter. I do think that if you can connect emotionally with, with people and how you build your products, it does matter. We saw like more than 80% of people would finish, which is unheard of. Like as an onboarding, most people are just like, ah, I don't have this and they just bail. I even had some people that would message the support and be like, hey, are there others I can do as well? Which told me like, okay, Sometimes it doesn't have to be some like incredibly novel idea. It just has to be some framework or approach that you learned in one space that is just really not applied here. And so it becomes this like sort of advantage. It becomes this special tool in your tool belt that you understand and you can leverage that most other folks probably don't. And that's what helps you differentiate individually, but it also helps you sort of mix and match different solutions and different ways of solving problems. Um, across like industries or roles. And, and it's interesting that you brought up this, the pros of this, right? To be able to bring over this like new ideas and say, yeah. you know, like with you, with your illustration and animation work, bringing that to call it non-creative fields, creative yeah. projects, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, one thing though, I'd be curious about is this idea about how you think people can transition yeah. from say engineering to Broadway plays. Um, yeah. or, and how even they may have the skills and the interests, but how they're able to communicate a story to then convince other people. Um, like for you, maybe you can just say, Hey, in your newsletter, Hey, I want to do this thing. And people yeah. are like, Oh, the, oh, Salman, the, with the viral blog post. I love that guy. Um, yeah. but maybe talk to us a little bit more about how others. Yeah. Can yeah. That's a good question. I like that question because like it probably could have been asked to me in that way, maybe like four weeks ago. I do feel like, you know, having some level, um, but I think another way to frame it is like, you know, one of the things, 
So this is actually a really interesting topic. So I think that there's some really interesting ideas around this. So the first thing I'll note is one of the things that happens once you, whether you've been successful or, or unsuccessful, once you've sort of solidified some kind of identity within your sort of smaller society, there, there's some element of sort of status regulation that, that starts to occur. And, you know, I, I actually, um, in one of my blog posts, I talk about, actually, even in that post, I talk about this at the end. But essentially, when you start to do things that don't conform to that particular identity, you know, folks subconsciously or consciously will call it out. And they'll say, hey, you know, that's a status violation. Like, you really shouldn't be doing that thing. It doesn't fit. And so then at that point, you kind of have this choice of like, you know, am I going to respect this sort of like, you know, legal enforcement of my peers? Or am I going to push forward? And, and the answer is essentially like, it's going to be difficult. And that's one of the things I talk about. Like, it's not like you're going to have a bunch of people that are like, yeah, you should actually, I'll note it, it, it'll, you'll get lower. That's great. Like do that on the weekend. What a great hobby, you know? Like you have fun with that. That's really cute. And then someone comes back and they're like, no, no, like, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm taking this seriously. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to make something out of this. I'm going to actually launch something out of this. Then you'll start to get sort of, you know, people are kind of like, uh, are you sure you're, you know, I don't, I don't really think that's a good idea and so on and so forth. So my, my thing is, I don't think every side pursuit, every hustle, every passion should be turned into something that you actually try and launch and take more seriously and build something out. Um, because I think that can be kind of dangerous where, you know, you, you just start playing with something and you're really excited and then you're like, yeah, this is what I should be doing. And then, you know, you, you jump into it and you're like, oh, so this is what it's actually like to, to sort of do this for a living. Um, and, and, you know, and it, it's not something I enjoy. I actually really liked it in this other way. And so it's important to kind of separate these ideas of, what am I doing for my livelihood, right? And what am I doing um, for joy and for interest and passions? Now, we've kind of been trained in, in different parts of the world to think about these in different ways. Like if you're, in, if you're in Silicon Valley, it's like, oh, you know, you should be doing a startup and it should be the most meaningful thing and um, it should give you all the purpose, right? This is, you know, as someone who's like been in startups most of my whole life, like I, I, I just want to say, like, I think this is really sort of a dangerous idea. Um, because what it does is it places all of the burden of meaning and purpose and identity purely around like your job. And, and that's where people start to get into trouble is, you know, they become afraid to even to explore things for play and for joy because they're worried about the consequences that are going to happen if they actually pursue it. Oh, and then I have to put this into my identity and then I have to start defending it. So um, what I would say is, I think people should embrace play. I think people should be comfortable just sort of playing with things. And then when people ask them, um, like actually, for example, like when I was DJing or even now when I started, you know, drawing illustrations and doing comics, the, you know, the first question I'll get is like, oh, are you going to do comics now? Are you going to be a comic person? Like, you know, are you going to publish comics and stuff? And it's like, I don't know. No, I, I, I just wanted to draw something. And I think even that act is needs to be trained in us because we haven't been taught how to just sort of uh, embrace things without necessarily always thinking about the long term. That said, going back to your original question, you know, I, I mentioned that because I think there are a lot of things that can fall into that bucket where we get to play with stuff. And I think 
people would be a lot more sort of, I guess, content with their day to days and there would be less pressure on having that perfect, perfect job. If you've got all these other things that are kind of giving you fulfillment and challenge and, and, and sort of interesting. And so all that's put aside, you would ask the question of like, how does one actually, you know, transition from, I think it was, what, what was the specific uh, transition? I, you were I said, uh, I, I said Broadway plays and right. engineering. Right. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. First of all, um, <laughs> I think like, you know, it, it's one of those things where I, I guess like the way I would describe it is any transition in general um, is going to take both your skills. Uh, you mentioned like assuming you have the skills, you know, I, I think the harder thing is always, do you actually want this? Like, do, is this really what you actually want to be doing? Um, and a good way to test that is to keep trying to do it like on the side at night, like, you know, and, and people say like, hey, I don't have time and, and don't encourage this constant working schedule. I, I resonate with that. Obviously, you don't want to overwork yourself, but you have to test something before you take a huge risk and, and sort of switch your career into that. But in the in that example, like you should be doing stuff at nights and weekends. Like I when I was in New York, um, you know, I did improv uh, and I really liked it. I felt like, OK, cool. Um, but I also was like, you know, I now I actually am in the same room with people who are living this life um, mm. and, and they're they care so much about this craft that they're willing to sacrifice all this other stuff in order to be here. Right. Do do I care about this as, and have as much passion about this as, as that person? And it's not about am I as good as them? I don't ask. You know, that doesn't matter. You can always get better. You can always improve. But do I is this so important to me? And for me, that answer was like, no, no, I don't think so. I think there are other things that are more important to me. And so I think it's important to kind of put yourself in um, a position where you get to make that sort of analysis for yourself. And then you start to sort of progressively built. Now, the, the thing you kind of hinted at was, well, you know, now you've had this sort of blog post and, and you have this newsletter and you can sort of play around. Firstly, I'll just note, since I started writing the newsletter, I've been basically doing all these different random things. And I would specifically say it's not a great growth strategy. Like if you want to really grow your writing and you should really pick a lane and be super clear about what you're doing. Like, hey, I'm doing this thing and, and here's this strategy email I'm going to send every week. It's going to be about this. Bam, let's go. Um, I was like, I don't know, you know, I'm writing about this and I'm writing about that. You know, you can follow if you want. And a lot of those approaches were taught to me. I learned them from like Elizabeth Gilbert. So she talks a lot about learning in public and sort of embracing your own truth. And then people will follow or they won't follow. But if they do follow and you're true to yourself, then you'll have actually built an audience that wants to follow you. I mean, what I like to tell people is like, imagine that you succeed. Imagine that you actually had created this, you know, this voice that, that you realize people want, right? And then you're really successful now. Oh man. Now you have to basically maintain this artificial voice and just keep it going. And you don't even want to do it. Like you never, that's not even your voice. Like a founder that doesn't want to keep building the company exactly. anymore. That's an amazing example. I, probably the, one of the worst examples because, oh my God, is being a founder a huge sacrifice, right? We're talking about like writing and stuff, but being a founder, that's incredible. And you can see that. I think that's the other thing I always like to tell. Uh, you probably have this, you know, in your guests, you probably notice a shift in tone 
between when they're talking about something, you know, they really want to talk about versus when they're just talking about something they feel like they should be talking about, you know, um, you know, and, and you can see that even in writing when someone is like, ah, I'm supposed to be uh, doing this and I'm supposed to be talking about this. You can tell the tone, the voice, all of that all comes through, you know, we're human, we, we, we show all these signs. And so I think that that's one of the things to keep in mind is like, I was just sort of doing that anyway. Um, you know, I, I kind of has been raised for a long time and, and just had this idea that I need permission. I need someone to tell me it's okay to do these random things. And you know what? Eventually I finally figured out, I'm like, nah, I'm just going to tell myself it's fine. So I just tell myself it's fine and I do that. Now, yes, this blog post took off and you know, there are a lot of people that resonated with that, but I don't really want to overreact to that either because then that becomes a new constraint of like, oh, people resonate with this. So I should just talk about only this. No, I mean, yeah, of course I want to talk about this because it's a very personal thing. But that's a great part about it is uh, you were mentioning this about, you know, uh, being authentic and, and, and being personal. So if I talk about something really personal and it takes off, it's great because then I get to keep talking about something that genuinely does matter to me. And so that's why I, I kind of keep emphasizing this stuff about like try and figure out what are the things that are feel playful to you to talk about and write about and work on. Because then if you actually find some element of success, it won't be a burden. You know, one of the things uh, I was talking about with a friend was he was talking about, you know, there's this idea now that that's kind of growing, which is the idea of you should go and build your own self-sustaining business, right? Which is, it's a wonderful idea. I think it's really important. People want to have more independence. They want to have less reliance on, on sort of traditional uh, employed infrastructure. It's great. But one of the things people talk about is sustainability, right? Like, okay, is this a sustainable business? Um, you know, not, not in the sense of like, is it not harming the planet? I mean, like financially, you know, can you make enough money coming in and coming out? Um, I think an important concept there is, is it emotionally sustainable for you, right? It goes back to the same thing previously, like you could be making a ton of money through it, but if it's not something you genuinely really want to put out there, like you're just going to get tired. You're really going to mm -hmm. burn yourself out. So yeah, I, you know, maybe, maybe I, I can just circle back to that original point is like, do play in a permissionless open way to help identify the areas that you feel you can go much further in to give yourself the resolve that you're going to need to really push down that avenue, regardless of the societal pushback and regardless of the fact that you're probably not going to be good at it to start, right? You have to, you have to just try things and put stuff out there and be comfortable with it being bad. Like my drawings were not very good. And, and I still think, you know, I look at some of my animations like, Oh, these are awful, but it's okay. I have to put them out there because then they're out there and I can do the next one. You know, a lot of times people get so, well, we all do, including myself, you get so hunched up about this one thing you're building right now. And you come up with these stories about it and everything. And it, and it becomes this big thing. And it's like, you just need to get it out there. And they'll be like, yeah, I put it out, but no one paid any attention. It's like, good, great. You made space. Now you can do the next thing. Right. So I actually find that it's less about like the tactical parts of like, okay, what is it about Broadway and what is it about engineering that, you know, it can necessarily connect and more about like, you know, focus on, on those pieces first, then, you know, you can, you can start to think about like, Oh, what is it about me? This is actually a great point. I'll, I'll, I'll end on around this question is, a lot of people come in with, you know, this concept of uh, imposter syndrome, right? So I, I used to, do, I do a lot of teaching. I've done a lot of teaching where students are coming in from all kinds of different fields and they want to learn how to uh, build software. They want to learn how to, you know, build startups and stuff like that. And a lot of people will come and be like, oh, you know, like, 
I, I really don't feel qualified to be here. Like I, I just have like a PhD and like 10 years of experience in like, you know, uh, you know, a, a basically a modified version of like theoretical physics and blah, blah. And you're like, okay, well, yes, that is different than what most, you know, like, let's just be honest, white guys in tech are coming in with the same sort of similar computer science background. Like, you know, there's a lot of folks in that, but like, wow, that is a really interesting background. Um, you know, how could you leverage that to be extremely unique and as an advantage to you rather than the way you're seeing it right now, which is this disadvantage, which makes you different from everybody else. And so again, it's, it's not even like they have to do something different. They just have to shift their psychology to try and understand what can, what can I leverage and how can I brand myself in this way and how can I present myself in this way and, and bring these as advantages rather than you know, anchors that are, that are sort of weighing me down. Yeah, I think, I think those are kind of some of the key areas to, to start focusing on is like, like shifting the mindset. And it seems to me that some of the mindset, or I'm curious as to how some of the mindset might have shifted for you for after reading uh, the book, The Courage to be Disliked. Yeah, that is one hell of a book. Um, I, um, yeah, for those who haven't read this book, it's, um, it's kind of in this Socratic style. Um, it's basically, it's actually the teachings of, um, you know, Adler, who's a psychologist, you know, he was there in the time of Jung and on all those others. He just never really got as much credit, I guess. Anyway, it, the two, two guys kind of decided they're going to take his teachings and sort of present them in this book. And the, and the book is presented in this manner where you've got a philosopher who's kind of trying to teach this young student these ideas. And the student is, you know, very resistant. Um, you know, he pushes back on everything and, and doesn't believe anything and kind of dismisses almost all of the ideas. And so you get this really great dialogue of, you know, you don't have to buy into this. Let's really work through this. So yeah, so I wrote about this in a blog post called uh, Altering uh, Your Reality, where, where I was actually going through this sort of phase in my, in my life where, you know, I would kind of, I was working uh, at a full-time job then in, in sort of a big company, and I just started to feel like I was stuck. I started to feel like I want to do these different things, but I can't seem to do anything when I get home. I'm too tired. I, and, you know, everything about my work environment is just taking my energies down and I'm frustrated by this. And so, you know, one of the things that happens is when, you, when we have problems like that, we have the power to magnify them. So it's like I had one problem, which is maybe a work environment that has some challenges, but now I have like three. Okay. Not only did that, but now I have a rumination problem where I'm just constantly thinking about that. That's a new and separate problem. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, I basically have reduced my emotional energies that are available. So I was kind of in that rut. And that's when I found this book. And I think what's really wonderful and interesting about books is like, if I had read this at a different time, I probably would have been like, eh, I don't know. And I don't know if that happens to you, right? Like a lot of times you'll see a book and it'll come back to you and you'll be like, oh, like now I see what this thing is saying. So it has a bunch of different ideas. You know, I, I won't be, we probably won't be able to go through all of them, obviously. But one of the ones that was really powerful was um, this concept of separation of tasks. Okay, so, so what, the way that we live our lives, um, you know, going back to some of the things we just mentioned earlier, is we try and do our best, mostly, to ensure that we don't make other people upset. Most people. Right. And I think this is a good quality. Like you don't want to go around making people upset, 
but it's it's a very very arduous and actually an impossible task it's it's actually important to note that it's literally impossible to do this because let's say that there were uh, two more people in this conversation right now and and you wanted me to do a bunch of things i'm like okay okay i'll i'll do those things and then i ask what does the other person want me to do already just with two people there's going to be a different list and there's going to be some conflict somewhere where you're going to want one thing and somebody else is going to want something else right and so now i can't do it anymore but i'm going to try so i'm just basically now you multiply that by every person in your life that you care about whose opinions you you think matter not even people that you know personally but people you look up to what do they think i should be doing what does the the past people in history think i should be doing this is huge burden of expectations that we're just constantly carrying around trying to maintain and and you know we never and then we never do it so then we have a fourth problem which is now we feel guilty right so the idea talks about separation fast which is that i have my tasks i need to know what i need to know, do in this world and i'm going to do those and you have your tasks and if you you know one of your tasks is what you think about me right it's your task i actually cannot tell you and change what you think about me and this is uh, sort of a, you can be like no you can affect what people think and you can and it's like well that's not your task though mm. you need to do what you need to do and then it's somebody else's task to figure out how they feel about it and so you know if you go further down this idea you can be like oh are you saying you just run around doing whatever like each idea you can take to the extreme but it's not really about that and i think it's important to kind of work through these ideas and what they mean for you there was a second idea which was very relevant to the problem i talked about which is around um sort of being able to define your own reality essentially so like i read the book and one of the things the book is like you know at the end of the day a lot of times these problems you made them worse right by just sort of ruminating and and describing that way and if you just this decide you know this isn't this is actually a positive here's a positive you can just decide and i was like mm come on Like what do you this is just delusion this can't be real. like you know so I was like okay I'll try so I basically I went into that worked out that Monday and I was like you know this is pretty good you know like like that's pretty good that's really good yeah there's some things over here but you know what this is pretty good and I don't know I'm going to I'm I'm just being honest it really worked I I was just kind of shocked at my own ability to just choose and accept that reality as fine so that i can use my energies elsewhere it's not like you're saying everything is perfect this is the best job in the world this is the best city in the world this is everything you're just saying this is it this is reality okay what am i going to choose my ener- use my energies on okay i'm going to use my energy on these other things that that can be more productive and then you feel better because now you're doing something else you get some positives out of that and it's kind of it's kind of crazy too like people notice people can tell right away they're like oh oh wow you know like oh there's a certain there's a little energy difference in you and you're like yeah there is and then they become different right because mm. that's sort of the magic right like whatever you are right people see that and then they change so you literally can just change people just by a slight change of you and i think we we downplay how powerful that really is you can literally walk into a meeting and depending on your energy you can just impact, immediately you can enter like seven people's energy like wow that's kind of amazing so i had underestimated that now obviously that isn't it's not a perfect solution you're just sort of always battling that and you're trying to go back and forth and and remind yourself of your own um capabilities because when things are really hard you know we we tend to 
really add weight to them. And, and you know, it's, it's a challenge, but uh, he has a lot of really interesting ideas. Uh, and I, I highly recommend folks check some of them out. Okay. Well, I think we're going to wrap up in a little bit, but I know you changed a bunch of people as a DJ and, <laughs> um, and literally could see the reactions and stuff. And I also love how you talk about how that role you had kind of role market fit employee, right. you know, and Product so market fit. Yeah. 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 That was really interesting. Actually, that's another, another good example, um, <clears throat> of sort of mixing different, uh, approaches. So I remember when I first started DJing, I, you know, had some ideas of what it, what it meant to DJ. And most of them I, in my mind were, you had to make really good music or pick really good music and then play it really well and mix it together really well. Like the transition between one track and the next should be really good. And so that was my understanding of what DJing is. And then I started to DJing and I was like, wow, that has basically very little to do with DJing. That's a very small part. But okay. So as an example, sometimes you might go to a set, you know, and you might see someone DJing and they're just kind of heads down. They're doing their set. Sometimes it's, you know, people aren't really paying attention. They're not really connecting with it, but they're just that person. The DJs just sort of keep going on and playing their thing. And that's someone who isn't connecting directly with their audience, right? It's just like a product that just keeps being built and built and built and built without actually paying attention to like how people are using it. And so one of the things I realized was like, oh, I have to really connect with the nuances of how people are engaging with this, you know, even, even being able to differentiate and not over amplify one voice, which is basically like when one person is like super into that song, <laughs> like no one else wants to hear this song, you know, you got to be able to see all these little signals. And what's magical is if you bring your tool set and it's varied enough, so, you know, you bring a, a you know, you be open. Like I have an idea of what I want to do with this set, but based on feedback, I'm open to kind of moving in different places. You learn a lot of these really interesting skill sets. It's not just about like, oh, collecting feedback and responding. It's also about being more flexible as a human being as to what you're doing. Um, you know, to really connect with audiences and, and realize like, oh, that's basically what this is. That's what all products are. They're just things that allow you to connect with real people. How are you going to foster that connection? How flexible and open are you going to be to going in, in different directions? And, you know, it's, uh, it reminds me a little bit of um, some of the ideas that I was talking about in, in, in another essay the other day of, of like embracing uncertainty and ambiguity rather than trying to control everything. So be, everything being in control would be you have your set list predefined beforehand um, and, and you just go through that versus, I don't know, I, maybe I won't know what I'm gonna play because of the audience, that's scary to me. You know, people wanna be in control of situations. And I think the more you try and do that, especially you know, in this time period, you know, this has become magnified. The more we try and control and hold tight, the more difficult it becomes because we can't, it's impossible, right? You can't control uh, what's going to happen. Well, you talked about connecting with an audience as a DJ. So for people that are listening and they uh, want to follow up, what's the best way that they can stay in touch and connect? Yeah. Um, I'm on Twitter a lot at dare to rant. And uh, you can also check out my website, salman.io. And uh, I write essays and illustrations and all that you can find there. Amazing. Thank you so much, Salman. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Hey friend, thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Portfolio Career Podcast. Wanted to also let you know about my monthly newsletter called One Email Away, where I fundamentally believe that we are all one email away from 
new opportunities. And if there's a way that I could potentially help you to connect with other people, I would love to do that. So one email away, um, you can sign up for my newsletter on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. You can also see the one email away section, but just want to take this moment to say thank you for, for listening to this episode. Really excited for us to build and grow our portfolio careers together.